What is happening? What is happening inside Iran? Because all we hear is bad news. And it's not that that's inaccurate, but it's incomplete. Do you know about practical ways to support and bless Israel? God's love for Israel is everlasting, and he has chosen them, regardless of their past and what they face in our world today. How can we find ways to bless Israel in our daily lives? Hi, and welcome to this special episode of Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a podcast of the Joshua Fund, a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund, and today we're going to talk about God's love for Israel, some of the challenges Jews face around the world, and practical ways to support and bless Israel. Here's today's episode with Joel from a past Epicenter conference. Good morning. How are you guys? Bright and bushy-tailed this morning. Thank you so much for coming back. Uh, you know, I appreciate it very much. It's exciting. I, you know, look, we, you heard last night, obviously, that we are living at this extraordinary moment. And yes, uh, as Janet noted at one point during the program, you could get really depressed, right? Nuclear war and end of days and radical Islam and all kinds of challenges. And yet, God is so gracious. And he is moving in history. And I, and I like to say that if we only look at events in the world generally or in the Middle East, in the epicenter in particular, through political lenses, and by that I mean geopolitical lenses, not necessarily partisan lenses, if we only look at events that way or through the lenses of economics, we can't really see in three dimensions. Uh, this is the way the rest of the world looks at it. It's not that we're not supposed to understand geopolitically what's happening or economically what's happening. That tells us a lot. Uh, the fact, for example, that uh, Israel has recently discovered 122 trillion cubic feet of natural gas. This is an important lens to look through. It's a game changer. And I was sharing with some friends the other night at a dinner. You know, you know that, that if you, you know the view who read uh, The Last Jihad or the other books, uh, that I had written fictionally about the discovery of huge amounts of oil and natural gas in Israel and Lebanon and Gaza in a, in a way that would change the region and, and change the dynamic and possibly draw Israel's enemies, particularly Russia, into a conflict. That was fiction. One of the sub-themes of the conference is, I'm not that bright. I can't make this stuff up on my own. But I was basing it on some Bible prophecy uh, that oil and gas would be discovered in Israel in the last days. And lo and behold, holy smokes, here we are. And I know that it's true. I mean, there have been some smaller discoveries or or announcements of discoveries, but it's been difficult to get that commercially uh, viable in the last few years by different companies. But I, I know this one is real. And imminent. Why? Because the Israeli government is now arguing with the uh, petroleum companies about how much uh, of the royalties they're going to get back to the people of Israel. And so they're battling over whether the tax rate is high enough or not. That tells me this is real. (laughs) But if you only look at events through geopolitical lenses or economic lenses, again, you can't get the full picture. I believe that we need to add on to that what I call the third lens. The lens of scripture. In this case of, uh, of the discovery of the oil and gas, particularly gas right now, uh, it tells us, wow, there are prophecies 
that tell us that in the last days Israel will discover these things. Ezekiel 38 tells us Israel will be so prosperous relative to her neighbors uh, that this will be one of the incentives for the enemies of Israel to attack or try to attack. And so when we look at prophecy, when we look at the scriptures, it helps us understand a little bit more clearly what's happening. And that's part of what this conference, this series of conferences, has been all about. Now, as we warm up this morning, as I sort of set the stage for the speakers that are coming... I want to do a few things. First of all, I want to thank you again for last night. What you saw last night was a little bit, you know, a little different. And and, and maybe we didn't even prep you well enough for it, that we did this uh, uh, radio and television and webcast uh, event. So it had a little bit more of a formality than we'll have today. Uh, Today will be a little bit looser, though I am wearing a tie. I don't know that everybody will be. And maybe after a while I'll chuck it. But um, glad to see you guys seem look relaxed and mostly tieless. So that's good. Uh, Praise the Lord. Uh, So as we go through this day, uh, we will be, what I'll be doing is I'll be emceeing, Lord willing, uh, throughout the day to sort of help you understand why I've invited each of these speakers, why they've been important uh, to me and our family and our our team and what we've learned from them and and why we wanted them to, to share their hearts and their perspective on scripture and current events with you and then sort of tie these things together uh, in between to, uh, to sort of build that narrative throughout the day. And then tonight, I would encourage you uh, to, to stick with us. It's a full day, I, I get that. But tonight, uh, after some more praise and worship, we will be having Hormoz Shariat share how he became a follower of Jesus Christ uh, from a Shia Muslim background, you know, on the streets of Tehran, shouting death to America. And then they thought, mm, he and his wife thought, Maybe not death to America quite yet. We'd like to go to graduate school over there. (laughs) So how that set into motion (laughs) to being one of the most amazing, uh, blessed and gifted and favored uh, evangelists reaching the Iranian people with the gospel. It's quite a story. And then what is happening? What is happening inside Iran? Uh, Because all we hear is bad news. And uh, it's not that that's inaccurate, but it's incomplete. Uh, we need sort of the Paul Harvey rest of the story moment so that we can get the fuller picture, the geopolitical, the economic, and the biblical, scriptural, third lens perspective. So that'll be tonight. And then I will tie this whole thing together with a message that I've entitled, uh, How to Go and Build a Global Movement of Christians to Bless Israel and Her Neighbors, Come What May. This will sort of tie together everything we're doing with a lot of very uh, scriptural but also very practical steps, and that will tie the whole thing off. If we've got time, I would love to have a little bit of the end of that just to open up literally for a sort of, I don't want to say free-for-all because the Lord knows what would happen, but just some questions from the floor. So just pray that we can make, you know, we can stay on track today. So there's a little bit of time there at the end uh, to take some questions uh, from you all. Uh, we, many of them have been emailed into us in recent days, and even we had a hundred of them overnight. So we're sort of sifting through that through, and we'll all try to kind of pepper in uh, answers to a number of these questions, as will the speakers throughout the day. By the way, I wanted to uh, uh, introduce, uh, not necessarily bring him back out right this moment, but just let you know who opened us up with praise and worship. Uh, Dan Rubays is a dear friend. Uh, he's a Lebanese Christian, grew up during the Civil War in Lebanon, in Beirut, 
in an apartment building where he and his family had to basically hunker down in the hallway because uh, bombs, uh, Israeli artillery during the war were going off. Actually, mostly that was a civil war that was going on. This was between the uh, so-called Christians and the radical Muslims there. It was an intense time to grow up. And uh, it was a challenging time to grow up. God was gracious to not only bring he and his family out of Lebanon... Uh, to the United States, but then uh, bring him into the kingdom uh, as a follower of Jesus Christ. So for a Lebanese brother to help lead us into worship uh, throughout this day is a very special thing to me, and I just want to thank Dan Rebays for being part of this today. everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Our verse of the day is Psalm 122, 6 and 7. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. Our prayer requests today come also from this passage that there would be peace in today's Jerusalem among Palestinians and Israelis and among believers and non-believers that peace would reign. Second, that prosperity for all who live in Jerusalem would be a blessing, that there would be those that care and reach into poverty so that they can help bring prosperity to people. And that leadership in Jerusalem and throughout Israel and the Holy Land. And third, pray for the leadership of Israel and all those that care about Jerusalem, that they would establish policies that would encourage people to live peacefully with one another. Now, if you've got your Bibles, if you turn with me for a moment to Jeremiah chapter 31, I want to begin with a few verses this morning, again, to set the stage biblically. We don't want to just talk about the Bible. We might actually want to read it a little bit, you know, so that would probably be good. To set the stage here, Jeremiah, the Hebrew prophet, chapter 31, beginning in verse 1. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Israel, when it went to find its rest, the Lord appeared to me from afar saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. 
Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. Again, I will build you, and you will be rebuilt, O virgin of Israel. Again, you will take up your tambourines and go forth to the dances of the merrymakers. Again, you will plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. The planters will plant and will enjoy them. For there will be a day when watchmen on the hills of Ephraim call out, Arise, let's go to Zion, to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, and shout among the chiefs or the heads, the leaders of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I am bringing them from the north country. I will gather them from the remote parts of the earth. And among them, the blind and the lame, the woman with child and she who is in labor with child together, a great company, they will return here. With weeping they will come. And by supplication I will lead them. I will make them walk by streams of water, on a straight path in which they will not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare in the coastlands afar off, and say, He who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. There's a lot of meat and potatoes there. Uh, That's worthy of an entire day's study, just this passage. But a few thoughts. God has said, unequivocally, I have loved you, Israel, with an everlasting love. Oh, a temporary love? Uh, A love for a little while, and then if you reject me, it's geschwinkto, it's over, we're moving on. A love for a little bit, a love if you love me back, a a love if if it all works out, a love if you're... An everlasting love. And therefore, the Lord says, he will draw the nation of Israel to himself, to his heart, with his loving kindness. I understand replacement theology, the idea that, okay, Jews, by and large, rejected the Lord, so... The Lord must have rejected him and moved on, created the church, and now all the promises that are related in the Bible to the word Israel, you just see it, you switch the word Israel in your mind to church, and then they all apply only to the church from this point forward. I understand that view. I don't agree with it. Let's just be clear right up front. Uh, You're like, what conference am I in? But, uh, But I understand it. And one of the reasons I understand it is because there's a lot of prophecy... Like in Ezekiel 36 and 37, for example, that says, hey, you know, in the last days, uh, God is going to draw his people back, right? Right here in Jeremiah, we see the Lord says, I'm going to bring them from the north country. Hello, Russia, former Soviet Republic, more than a million Jews just in the early 1990s came out of Russia and returned to the land of Israel. Yeah, about one in four Israelis now are Russian speaking because Jeremiah 31, 8 came to pass. But for centuries, this stuff wasn't coming to pass. Not Jeremiah, not Ezekiel, not any other prophecies. 
There was no Israel. There was no ingathering. There was no uh, evidence that, that these promises were really coming to pass. And therefore, let's see, 500 years after 70 AD, when the uh, Romans destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, 500 years later, you had theologians thinking, well, maybe, maybe we're misreading some of this stuff. I mean, there's no evidence that God is going to bring it to pass, so maybe we're misreading. And then the, but the literalists, those who said, no, 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 God's word is true. Every word of it. And when it speaks clearly like this, I mean, this is not metaphoric language. I mean, there are metaphors in the Bible. When people say, well, you take the Bible literally? I do. But I mean, when Jesus says, I am a door, I, I mean, that is a metaphor. I mean, let's not be ridiculous about it, right? I mean, there's metaphors. A reasonable person can pick that way through. But this is saying clear. I am going to bring you from the north country. There's no metaphor about that. You go north, you find Jews, he brings them back. But let's say five, 600 AD, people thought, you've got to be kidding. But the literalists said, no, no, it's true. Let's hang on there. Come on, these prophecies are going to come to pass. And then 700 years went by. 800 years went by. 900, 1,000 years went by. And the replacement theologian said, look, you guys are all sweet people, but it's never going to happen. You're misreading it. What you think is literal is actually metaphoric. It's, all, it's only about the church now. And the liter- there were few literalists that were left who were saying, no, 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 you don't understand. God's true to his word. Just be patient. You know, a day is like a thousand years for the Lord. Well, now 1,500 years went by. 1,600, 1,700, 1,800 years, all this went by. 1,900 years almost went by. There was no Israel, no ingathering, no evidence at all that these prophecies, these scriptures were going to come true. So you had a long history for replacement theologians to look back and say, look, the church fathers 500 years ago were writing about that God didn't really mean this the way you think it means. They were writing about this 700 years ago. They were writing about 300 years ago. So, you know, we have a lot of evidence on our side. And then came May 14th, 1948. And, you know, the Bible says in Proverbs, can a nation be born in a day? Apparently it can. Amen. So there's a lot of the church around the United States and Canada and worldwide that's still n- not quite understanding that what, what God is doing, what God has done. And, 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 and I, I am sympathetic. I disagree lovingly, but I want us to be part of a movement. I'm going to define that uh, tonight, so if you hold on. Uh, I'm going to define what I mean by a movement. What does that literally mean? What, how do you build one locally in your own you know, community, and, and then we think globally, what, is, what are we talking about? You're going to see a lot of pieces, and then we'll tie it up together tonight. But, but I'm, I'm sympathetic, but I think but we need to teach people that these were the prophecies, and look, they are coming true in front of our eyes. It's amazing. The Prime Minister of Israel, Netanyahu, was at Auschwitz uh, earlier this year, in January, and he gave a speech there, and he said, this is where this, you know, the, uh, a large part of the Holocaust happened, And this was where Ezekiel chapter 37 began to come true. The valley of the dry bones where the Jews, all they could see was death and destruction. And their hope seemed lost. And yet out of the ashes of the Holocaust, according to the prime minister of Israel, out of that set into motion the rebirth, the modern state of Israel. The prime minister of Israel has declared... Ezekiel 37 has come true in our lifetime. 
Now, I'm just saying. When the prime minister of Israel, who's not particularly a religious man, says that Ezekiel 36 and 37 have come true in our lifetime, isn't it remotely possible some others could come true as well? I believe so. Now, I, I want to say that, you know, uh, we're at this moment where, you know, if you're a senior, if you're the dean of the White House press corps and somebody says, hey, what do you think the, about Israel? What about the Jews? Tell them all to go back to Poland, Germany. And, and I won't use the language that was used. I, I think it was right for Helen Thomas to resign. I, please pray for her, however. They were reprehensible, anti-Semitic remarks. Pray for her, that her eyes would be opened, that her heart would be opened, that, that, that in, in the latter years of her life, that she would come to know the Jewish Messiah and have a heart for her own people. She's a, a descendant of Lebanese refugees. She, her family has seen an awful lot of pain. But help her understand how God wants to love and heal that pain as well as love her neighbors and her enemies. And I, and I, but we were a moment where I believe we're just at the early stages of a, of a resurgence, sadly, of anti-Semitism in the United States and Canada and North America. We're seeing it in Europe. We're seeing it around the world. We need to be prepared that it's going to happen here. And, you know, some of, sometimes people say, you know, Joel, God bless you. You know, you, 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 know you, think, you Jews, you think you're the chosen people. You think you're so special, right? And, and I like to say, listen, you know, we're okay with God choosing somebody else. It's... <laughs> We're not trying to, we're, you, know, we're, you know, Jews are kosher sometimes, so we don't want to hog everything to ourselves. But listen, <laughs> all around the world right now, that joke is rippling. <laughs> and nobody thinks it's really that good, so okay. <laughs> but, but listen, uh, you know, chosen, we, we, sometimes we feel like, uh, you know, chosen people. We're, why didn't he choose somebody else? You know, he chose us to bless us, to help us. But, you know, many times Jewish people around the world, and particularly in Israel, feel like, you know, the Pharaoh chose us. Hitler chose us. Stalin chose us. Ahmadinejad chose us. I mean, really, you know, we're not so special. Please, share the joy. It's okay. It's okay. Some of you have probably heard me say that one of my favorite cartoons comes back from the 1980s uh, from the Far Side cartoon series. Uh, those little funny animals that would say funny things. And the one I remember best is two deer standing in the forest. And one of the deer has a bullseye on its chest. And the deer without the bullseye says to the deer with the bullseye, Hey, bummer of a birthmark, Hal. This is what it feels like too often to be Jewish in the world. You wake up going, hey, yo, why is everybody targeting me? What's the problem? I just, how was I supposed to be born differently? How did I get to choose my birth? And people want to kill me just because I'm Jewish. This is how isolated and lonely it can feel. And when you see the entire world driving away from Israel right now, away from the Jewish people, it's hard not for Israelis and Jews to feel more isolated than at any other time, at least in their lifetimes. I mean, they can look historically, that happened in that country and that happened in that country, but, but now it's happening to us now. Even that feeling of distance from the United States. And I believe that this is the church's moment as the world is driving this way away from Israel to be driving towards her.
not over her, (laughs) to her, not through her, but to her, that we need to go up the one-way street in the wrong direction. Coming to her to show her love. Why? Because God said through the Hebrew prophet Jeremiah, I have loved you with everlasting love. And therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. This is unconditional love. No strings attached. We love because he first loved us. We love us, love them, Israelis, and her neighbors, the Palestinians, Iranians, everyone in between. Because he loves them. Because he cares for them. And because he's coming back and he's going to assess how we do. If we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we're going to heaven no matter what. But do we want to stand before a Jewish Messiah face to face one day in heaven and have him say, why didn't you love my people? Why didn't you care for them? So may we be part of the movement that not me or the Joshua team or the team that you see here last night or today. It's not, we are not building this movement. We are responding to the heart of the Lord. He is doing something special in our time. And he is preparing the world, preparing the nations for his return. Wouldn't it be exciting to be part of that? Amen. Well, as we begin, I'm glad to announce that I'm going to bring a dear friend out. You met him last night. The Israeli pastor, Wayne Hilsden, pastor of the largest congregation in Israel and based in Jerusalem. To come and share with us in a very specific way how to pray for Israel. And, you know, we've been talking about as we, as we are part of God's building of this global movement, uh, we want to think in terms of four strategies, right? Learn, pray, give, and go. We're going to define those terms. Last night was a lot about the learning. Big picture, two hours, getting, the, you know, an overview of what's happening and this morning, we were going to spend the entire morning thinking, studying, praying about prayer. We're going to really, we want the, the next few speakers to be teaching us scripturally and through their own experience of how they're seeing God prove himself to be a prayer hearing and a prayer answering God. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to really go deep in that. Then in the afternoon, we'll talk about giving your whole life, not just money. It's not, about, it's not about money. You know, if you want to give money, praise the Lord. That's certainly part of giving your life to the Lord. But I'm looking forward to Greg Laurie talking about how to give your entire life fully and completely to Jesus Christ in these last days. With your time. With your talent. With your treasure. And then we'll talk tonight about the going. How do you... What are opportunities? What does it mean to go? And lots of different... It doesn't just mean about going literally physically to Israel, though that's part of it. And we'll talk to you more throughout this day about the conference next year and other opportunities to go. But there's other ways to go and do things to be part of this movement that, that the Lord is building. Well, I hope you've enjoyed listening to Joel explaining God's love for Israel, the challenges they face in our present day, and how to support them. If you found this podcast really valuable, please get in touch with us. Let us know who you are. Are you someone who's searching for Jesus? Here's where you can find it. Do you want to talk about something else on our show? Do you have a question you want Joel to answer? If so, go to joshuafund.com and click on Contact Us. Your feedback is incredibly important and valuable to us as we develop this podcast. And as always, you can check our show notes for anything you heard on the podcast you'd like more information on. For Joel Rosenberg and the Joshua Fund ministry team, I'm Carl Muller. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg. A powerful prayer life does not require hiking a mountain to be able to hear from God. God can meet us right in the middle of our busy lives to help, guide, and speak to us through prayer. I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical teaching and encouragement on how you can make prayer a natural and consistent part of your everyday life. I promise it won't require hiking a mountain, but you just might develop the faith to move one. Listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.